Welcome to the Aquas Podcast. Conversations about regs, funds, and governance with your host, Daniel Lawler. It's January 2019, but a little bit late in January to wish you a happy new year. But still time to reflect on what happened in 2018 and look forward a little bit to 2019. See what our expectations, hopes, and perhaps even dreams are for the new year. I'm joined by two dreamers from Irish Funds for my co-hosts for this episode, Kieran Fox and Declan Casey. Gents, thank you very much for joining me. Welcome. Thank you, Dan. Glad to be here. Dreamers, is that overstating it? Too long in the industry to... Uh, too much grey hair, I think. Oh, yeah. gosh. Would you like to introduce yourselves? Uh, sure, yeah. Uh, Kieran Fox, uh, Business Development Director at Irish Funds. I've been here at Irish Funds for over 11 years. Um, Prior to that, spent a little bit of time in the central bank before you were there, I think, Danny. And before that, spent um, some time in asset management in London. And 11 years, I know I was in the central bank seven years and the institution changed a lot in that time. How's Irish funds changed over 11 years? We've changed quite a bit, actually. Um, I mean, one of the things, so obviously the industry's got much bigger in terms of assets, number of funds and type of funds and fund products that there are. Um, ETF's been a big development, obviously, in the last uh, number of years, strong growth. Um, in terms of the association, we've changed a reasonable amount as well. So um, one way would be that we currently have 140 member companies. Uh, that's about a 35-40% increase in member companies from where we would have been four or five years ago. Uh, most of those new member companies are asset managers, um, and that reflects... Uh, a deliberate uh, change in, in our approach in trying to attract asset managers as members of the association, but also more recently a change in the profile of companies that are coming and setting up here in, in Ireland. Uh, so 140 member companies, biggest cohort are asset managers, so something like 60, 61 asset manager members, and the next biggest cohort then being fund administrators. And as I say, if you go back three years ago, um, four years ago, that would have been inverted. So uh, administrators would have been the biggest uh, member company type um, and asset managers would have been much less. And many of those asset managers mostly located abroad, are they? Uh, it's changing um, and we might come on to that, um, but it is changing. Historically, yes. Uh, we would have had maybe 10 or 15 with the presence here in Ireland. Um, and the rest would have had a presence overseas. Um, but now more and more of those managers are setting up here, be it either a, a management company, an AFIM, or some of the MIFID entities and putting people on the ground. And the number of staff in Irish Funds is probably quite a bit bigger now than it was 10 or 11 years ago. Uh, not that much bigger. No? <laughs> <laughs> a little bit bigger. No, a little bit. We've, uh, we're probably at 12 or something like that. Um, so we've increased maybe uh, four or five over over recent years. Um, we do leverage quite a lot of our off our membership structure. So we have eight. We currently have eight steering groups and forty two different working groups. Um, although that will that will change a little bit in the not too distant future. But within that structure, we've got more than seven hundred people involved working on different things. Uh, so that structure and the amount of people and resource that's available within that structure is one way that we leverage with a small headcount here in the association. And it is a very active industry, an active association. Do you find it 
reasonably straightforward to get people to put their hands up to contribute to groups and working parties and stuff? Uh, on the whole, yes, uh, although it can vary. Um, and because we've got such a wide number of, of working groups and steering groups, there are issues and topics and, and individuals who will be much more active, uh, much greater priority, um, uh, strategically important issues. So, that, so they will obviously get the time and attention. People will always want to contribute on those kind of red hot topics um, or the areas that are really important for them and their company. Um, and so there'll be there'll be naturally there'll be other areas that are a bit quieter. Um, so it kind of waxes and wanes a little bit. But on the whole, it's a very active industry, uh, and our member companies, um, luckily, uh, are very keen to participate. One of the the things that struck me when I was on the other side as a regulator and, and dealing with on the, the dark side, Danny, on the on the right side, <laughs> uh, dealing dealing with the industry from the other side uh, was that. Uh, your your stakeholder management skills must be exceptional because you have a lot of a lot of groups and a lot of individuals and firms that are broadly aligned, but individual firms do things slightly differently operation wise and attitudes. How do you herd the cats? It's a challenge. It's a, and it's a constant challenge. Um, you do learn uh, where some of the sensitivities are and where some of the conflicts are. So you know you know in advance. Uh, how to expect, where to expect some challenges, and you try to navigate through that. Uh, you probably learn uh, how not to offend people and how to try and build consensus opinions. Um, some issues are tricky, uh, but you listen, my personal view on this is at some point, all of the relevant stakeholders on a particular issue or in a particular area are all going to have a view and a valid input at some point. Um, so my view is they're better off being involved in that earlier in the process. Uh, and we can arrive at an outcome that's maybe not ideal for everyone, but certainly an outcome that works for most people quicker. Very diplomatically put. I mean, I Declan, <laughs> that's the truth. You don't want me to be as diplomatic. Uh, I, I know. And it's an increasing challenge, Danny, with the breadth of our membership uh, growing. Uh, I think the one thing that kind of assists us is I think everybody can agree that it's better we disagree within Irish funds and within our groups than maybe in front of the regulator or policymakers. So I, I think in, in the end of the day, people have their views and it's how we can kind of reach compromise uh, within our structures that allows us a then represent an industry-wide view. But it's not without its challenges. Absolutely. One, one, th one thing that we hear quite a lot, actually, compared, um, comparing Irish funds or, or the Irish industry to other jurisdictions is that the industry here actually works quite collaboratively well together on industry issues. We're, we're, we're pretty firm, actually, on our working groups and when we're working on an issue, you leave your company hat at the door before you come in. And then we all try and make the industry neighborhood problem better. And then when people walk back outside the door, they put their industry, they put their company hat on and they compete sometimes ferociously for the same piece of business. But we try and make it better collectively before they do that. That's a theme that's sort of been there right from the get go when yeah. the industry started here wearing the green jersey and stuff like that. That's still alive and kicking. I, th I think so. And again, I mean, you talk about the evolution of the industry and Kieran can talk back 11 years. I can look back 17. Um, 
And I think you, you don't look at Declan. <laughs> Thank you, Danny. Uh, it's a good job. It, it's a good job. It's a podcast. Uh, but again, I mean, in the early days, we were producing guidance papers. A lot of the work went into guidance papers and kind of self-help and collective views and all of that. Uh, we st- we still do, but I think the industry has matured. Our membership has matured, and and increasingly, what's been asked of us is increasing advocacy, uh, and we can see that initially with the regulator, the government agencies, departments, increasingly more in Europe, and again that kind of mirrors an evolution. And I think certainly international policymakers' desire to kind of centralise policy making more, even even you know you you could look at the evolution of Caesar to ESMA. And the increased powers, the, the the way the national common authorities are buying into these uh, pan-European groups, and again, it's I suppose it's 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 an evolution of the single market, in 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 some respects. So so again, we've we've been on that journey, uh, and, and to, to Kieran's point, I think when, with our membership and and that we it's important to represent a cohesive and collective Irish position, our industry position as well. And do you see uh, your international engagements? increasing now over this next period do you, do you see foresee a lot of time spent in brussels like yeah. losing one of our big allies and and, and, and a, a nation where we are generally aligned yeah. our views of the world are quite similar in the uk and assuming brexit proceeds um there's other bridges that need to be built uh, absolutely uh, it's something we have uh, kind of been aware of for for a year or two now uh accelerated with brexit obviously i think I think even uh, some of our uh, politicians, uh, particularly MEPs, maybe, uh, and some of the government agencies that that contribute actively in 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 council working groups and things like that, would always have felt look that uh, it, it was always easy to their their views were very much aligned with the with the UK view uh, and perspective. And again, I think that is uh, a more of a global perspective than a domestic national perspective. Uh, uh, and again, looking at making a bigger pie and, a, and with that a bigger slice for everybody. Uh, I think with the UK going, absolutely, uh, we, we, need to, we, do, we need to do more. And as an association, uh, we're looking to recruit a full-time resource uh, for Brussels. And again, to feed in uh, to the debates uh, and, and provide our insight. And that's one thing I think in fairness, both domestically and, and increasingly internationally, we've been able to deliver good quality input to debates. Uh, we've got a wealth of experience. Uh, and in fairness as well, that, that, that experience rests in the regulator as well. Uh, when you look around Europe uh, and a lot of the debates with respect to pan-European distribution of product and things like that, that in fairness, uh, over the last year, uh, the Commission has approached us uh, uh, a couple of times in particular with respect to barriers cross-border distribution yeah. that we're very well placed we've got lots of experience uh, to show kind of some of the elements that might frustrate uh, pure uh, cross-border distribution of investment funds and do you find um, that regulators in other member states are, are sort of open their door to an, a national um, industry association from another member state are they Interesting, or are they just interested in dealing with the yeah, pan-European groups? I think they, the they tend to engage yeah. through through the uh, through ESMA and the other uh, uh, the other established groups. 
I mean, we're, 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 we're open to engaging with them, but we, we tend to kind of, that can happen through our membership of a FAMA, for example, our counterparts and things like that, that even, even, even aside from the formal FAMA structure, there's bilateral exchanges between ourselves and our counterparts and other, other jurisdictions looking for information or how do you do it in Ireland? And, you know, if, they're, if their regulator, for example, has a consultation paper out, they might seek our views and, and things like that. So, so that, that takes place. Uh, increasingly, we're developing uh, more frequent engagement with ESMA. I think that's good. And again, uh, you know, it's important that we, we bring something to the table. I'm always very keen that kind of we some thought leadership and things like that when we meet uh, stakeholders because it gives them a reason to continue to engage and meet us. It's not just a case of, you know, you're looking for an update. I think you have to bring something to the table. And it's, it's a mix. It's a, it's a mixture of items. But again, I think generally policymakers, if you can give them a, a kind of a well thought out view, they're interested in hearing it. I think that probably reflects that you guys had a very busy 2018. Can you? We're at the end of January. Can you? Can you even remember 2018? The highs and lows of 2018. What, what were they? I mean, it's a good question, Danny. Uh, you know, the industry never stops, and we certainly don't rest on our laurels. Uh, I mean, I, 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 I always think it's interesting when you talk about kind of the wins and things like that. And sometimes it's what you stopped happening. <laughs> as opposed yeah. to what you what you achieved or or even looking at, at, at regulatory files or, or or decisions kind of you, it's well it could have been a lot worse we might not have, have got what we wanted but it could where we where we started from it's it, it, it's better than that but i mean some of the some of the kind of key ones that spring to mind is i think cp86 and the the the, the rollout and implementation of, of cp86 obviously that was a big body of work uh that spanned i think probably three four years uh, of the central bank and industry, uh, and again, I, I think you know I'd, I'd love to see uh, that being championed as a as a as a workable European model. Uh, but I think the debate, particularly on for the Brexit, has shifted somewhat. That I think certainly Ireland and the UK in particular had a perspective that what was important is to where activity is done, and that was kind of or sorry. Sorry, who did the activity? So there was a motor, yeah. an appropriate person in appropriate jurisdiction. Whereas I think uh, after Brexit now, the the perspective has shifted slightly, and it's it's as important where it's done. Again, it's 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 unfortunate, uh, but but I can understand policymakers uh, maybe perspective in that regard. Uh, there was a lot of work done and a big a big file that was published in 2017 a lot of work done and a lot of engagement in 2018 was the ESA reform I think it's improving still something that we will uh, actively engage on and keep 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 on top of as, as we go into 2019 how do you see that playing out do you think you're going to see well, more recent, power drawn back to the centre uh, good question that, that's, that's, that's the goal and again I think it speaks to the single market I think it was a, a very aggressive proposal, and I, I think it might have undermined uh, the ability, or it might have scared policymakers to some extent, particularly national competent authorities. It might have been seeking to do too much in too short a time frame, but again, uh, accelerated for by Brexit. Uh, at an ECOFIN meeting earlier in the week, I think the Romanian presidency said that they want to focus on the AML elements of the text mm. and, and try and get them over the line as a priority. Uh, if that is the case, I, I, I think the ESA reform, uh, the other elements of it may well uh, fall into the next uh, 
Parliament and Commission. But obviously, there's parliamentary elections in May and a new commission in the existing commission sit until the end of October. Uh, so we, yeah. we'll wait and see. I think, uh, I, I don't know enough about EBA and IOPA, but, but certainly on the ESMA side, it looks to me like the, you know, the aim of supervisory convergence and convergence across member states uh, that was feeding a bit into the ESA review and, and there was certainly a sense that that was, they needed to do more, wanted to do more. I think through things like the supervisory coordination network that sprung up as a result of the Brexit opinions and what have you, that's kind of achieving that anyway. So without the ESA review, they're sort of getting to the end that they wanted to get to. I I, I agree. Uh, I think that's right. Uh, again, I think the ESA proposal probably just just was a, was a little, uh, seeking to achieve a little, a little more than regulators and others were comfortable with. Uh, that, again, I think when you look at the evolution of CSER and ESMA and all, I think there's there's been a lot of good work done and it's for that to continue. I think I, my, my certainly uh, thinking is that uh, national competent authorities expected kind of the ESA proposals to include peer reviews and things like that, as opposed to a shift in, in decision-making uh, to to ESMA. So so again, I think uh, they were taken aback by the, by the content of the, proposals when they were published and uh, they could have maybe signed up easier uh, if it was kind of along the lines of peer reviews, supervisor co- cooperation networks and things like that. Yeah. So allied to that, 2018, you had uh, GDPR, you had MUFIT 2. Um, yeah, MMFR, Danny. Uh, we, we, we thought, uh, again, we thought it was a, a win uh, until we were given a little sting, sting in the tail and spent kind of another year almost yeah. trying to uh, understand uh, how that how that happened uh, look it'll be put to bed in 2019 and, and, and we'll move on uh, as you said MIFID 2 again uh, interesting and going back to some of the other comments about the shift in, or the change in membership again a lot of our manager members would have been UK or other kind of would, would have would would have bases in, in the UK and so on MIFID they were more interested in the FCA HM Treasury's approach and implement application of it rather than the central banks uh, but now uh, given the increase in, 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 in companies setting up here the, the, the central banks view the Department of Finance uh, perspective in transposing and implementing MIFID and further iterations becomes more relevant so certainly I see that is one aspect of our advocacy that's going to uh, change considerably uh, going forward. You'll be more sanguine about the MMFR than I am. I'm quite annoyed. I think it's the wrong outcome. But anyway, yeah. we leave it. It's done. Uh, 2019, we're already nearly a month in. Uh, Kieran, what's the expectations? Yeah, I mean, listen, I think I don't think anyone is under any... Uh, illusion that 2019 is going to be a particularly easy year. Um, I think some of the big regulatory uh, ticket items that you guys covered, um, maybe not as many of those coming down the track uh, in 2019. But I think I think listen, I think people are stealing themselves for a, a reasonably difficult year, nonetheless. Uh, if you look back at 2018. From, from an Irish industry perspective, from an Irish funds perspective, there were, there were positives. So we talked at the start about the membership growing, um, assets in Irish domiciled funds are going up, more Irish funds being authorised and domiciled, more people setting up a presence here, 
um, and that's all quite positive. Um, but at the same time, the backdrop, um, you have a, a challenging narrative in financial markets. Um, 2018 was a much more difficult year than some of the previous years before that. Uh, in the asset management industry, there are um, still, uh, I think, a lot of scrutiny around fees and margin compression. I think that's something that's probably going to continue. I see that more as a secular than a cyclical trend. Um, but notwithstanding that, uh, 2018 Ireland was still the, f- the fastest growing in terms of assets uh, of the five largest fund domiciles in Europe. Um, has been the fastest growing for the last five or six years and, la- and last year was no different. So, so that's positive. Um, but, but 2019 will be a challenge um, and not least of all because of some of the uncertainty around Brexit. Um, Gosh, we made it nearly I know. 20 something minutes we in. We did well, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I was deliberately trying to bite my tongue on that. Um, well, but we've, we've, kind of, we've kind of broken the watershed now, so we may as well. Go on. Um, no, but it, I mean, look, it, it, it will be challenging, um, particularly around the uncertainty as much as anything else. Uh, we had, in 2018, we had the development of the temporary permission regime. Early in January, the FCA switched on the notification process for that. Uh, and that helps. Um, that takes some of the pressure off. Uh, we know that there are almost 3,000 Irish domiciled investment funds that are registered for sale to UK investors. Um, I expect the vast majority of those funds will, will notify onto the temporary permission regime, which will enable them to keep distributing investment funds to UK investors for, for up to three years. Uh, late in December, we had a clarification from Treasury in the UK that new USUTS sub-funds launched after Brexit date would be able to come in under the temporary permission regime as well, provided they were part of an umbrella structure that had already been registered under temporary permission regime. So that, that's all quite positive. Uh, we had a recent statement by Ed Sibley in a speech he gave on the 16th of January uh, about the MOU uh, that's currently being negotiated between ESMA uh, and the FCA, which the central bank would have to sign bilaterally. Um, and he, for the first time, really went further than, than the central bank have uh, gone before in saying that uh, the MOU will be in place in time uh, for Brexit and that firms can uh, carry out their planning on the basis that the MOU will be in place and firms can also carry out their planning on the basis that portfolio management will still be able to be delegated to UK authorised managers after Brexit. So they're, they're helpful statements, um, but there's still obviously a lot of uncertainty around the political process. Uh, will there be a transition period? Will there not be a transition period? Will the withdrawal deal get approved? A withdrawal deal? Any withdrawal deal? Um, will Article 50 be postponed? Will it be delayed? So they're all big uncertainties at the minute that many companies are still trying to deal with uh, on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, I think, you know, if you look at the funds industry and you look at uh, the impact of Brexit from a a sort of, if you step back and look at it a bit coldly, from a regulator's perspective, at least you're talking about rules that are already aligned 
the same levels of investor protection and the same prudential approaches to supervision. So uh, that's not going to change overnight, albeit in time, presumably it will. So it does give you a buffer where you can put in place arrangements that are sensible, that continue to protect investors. You don't necessarily need to panic day one uh, because you know those protections are there. But this is a political process. It's, not- wrap, it's wrapped up in a, in a big political debate about future trade agreements, which makes it a lot more complicated. And, and, but you're right. I mean, on, on the face of it, it should be pretty straightforward. If, if you and I were sitting down to work out the Brexit process and how it applied to investment funds, I'm sure we'd have a pretty sensible outcome. But so we're sensible people. Karen. We're sensible people, politicians, maybe not so much. Give us some good news for 2019. Um, let's see. Surely, the good hope that the Investment Limited Partnership Act will progress through the parliamentary process. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when, when is the podcast going? <laughs> yeah, there's been a huge amount of engagement, very active engagement, I'd say, particularly in the last six weeks. Uh, big push to to get uh, a bill uh, that's ready to be published. So again. Uh, where we where we are today, we 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 hope in the next week or two, uh, that that we'll have a, a bill to be published. But again, to I think uh, may refer to Brexit and if if the government has to drop the legislative uh, uh, timeline or table to deal with all Brexit legislation and, and things like that, well, uh, I'm not sure we could successfully argue that the ILP is a Brexit uh, piece of legislation. But, but again, I think certainly we're keen to get everything, get all our ducks lined up and get it published uh, as soon as possible. And then tandem and kind of linked to that, you have the real asset depository regime the regulator is proposing, which yeah. hopefully won't take too long to... to yeah, no, it's period. something we've been talking about for a while. And again, it, it kind of sits in tandem with uh, the ILP and things like that for the last, I suppose, two years maybe. We've, we've tried to push PE uh, and real assets... And that and that so that goes that speaks to having a having a, a legislative vehicle, i.e. the ILP that's fit for purpose, having a regulatory environment that's fit for purpose. So again, we're we're also uh, just in the last few days a, a significant submission went into the bank on revisions to the AF rule book, again to facilitate and pave the way uh, for ILP and P investment. So again, we we want to have kind of where we're, we're coordinating everything. We'll have the legislation. We'll have a regulatory environment. Uh, uh, that that that's fit for purpose. So yeah, it's it, it's active, but like like everything, Danny, uh, nothing's done until it's done. Other highlights likely to come up in twenty nineteen. Uh, hi- highlights are, are, are wow. issues, challenges. Uh, Ireland, uh, Ireland wins the Rugby well, World Cup. We're allowed yeah, to say that. Yeah, yeah well, we, we did say dreams. <laughs> yeah. Um, probably a bit more on CP86 this year, I'd imagine, in terms of inspections and so the well, themed inspections. Yeah, uh, now that, you know, again, the transition period ended in, in, in July uh, last year. The Central Bank have, have signalled that uh, they intend carrying out themed inspections on the application of the CP86 requirements during 2019. Uh, so certainly that's something uh, that, that, that we'll be uh, watching for and engaged in. Uh, yeah, I think when we get to the 20, end of 2019, the kind of conversations, I'm having a lot of them now around the organisation effectiveness role and what does it mean and do, you know, do I do this, do I do that, what's the standard? I think... By the end of this year, we'll probably have a fairly good idea as to what the 
what the industry approach is, what the benchmark is, what the regulator is comfortable with. And I think, I think so. Clear position there. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Now, but I, but but I would note, I think there's a European perspective to this as well. And again, uh, you know, it's like the ESA reforms had detailed uh, requirements with respect to the powers ESMA that was provided to give ESMA in our instance, or in our industry, for example, powers look into delegation and outsourcing arrangements. So I, I, I think uh, we, we can't ignore uh, ESMA peer regulators and all of this. So, so again, I think, but, but, but that said, I mean, all the work that the bank did in CPA 6, they're all very transparent. It's all out there. There's, there's very detailed uh, kind of thought process and all of that, uh, I think, has, has put us in a good position, to be quite frank. And it didn't always seem like it at the time. Uh, but, but I do think if you look at CP86 and, the, you know, collectively where we've, where we've come from and where we are now, uh, I think certainly uh, it's, it's put us in a good place to have those discussions. Uh, again, touching on some current race performance fees. Uh, you know, it's just topical. You're hearing it in, in, in Europe, other radios, and it builds upon some of the commentary that started last year. You have ESMA just before Christmas published their super, uh, a study on their supervisory work on performance fees and all that. So I think that's that's going to, we're, we're going to see that continue. Sustainable finance, you know, environmental sustainability, governance, big thing, quite broad <laughs> in, in, in fairness. Uh, AIFMD as well. I think now that you know, the commission, uh, the, the the commission have, have have now got the KPMG report, uh, so they'll have to do something with it. Uh, I think the early early summary of the report is that there's differing uh, applications of AIFMD throughout throughout member states. So again, I I think they you know having done the work, they now have to uh, see where they go to next. I wonder will they return to the third country extension of the passport turning on the member state reference approach well well now again and we'll go back we can't you know you can't consider that absent brexit environment and all of that particularly particularly uh, relevant uh so yeah we'll we'll wait and see uh i suppose again if if we look back and we'll have a new one we'll, although we'll have a new commission later in the year uh, uh when when the when the new commission when the last commission was established, Commissioner Hill came out with a CMU package. Uh, so again, maybe something like that. Uh, there's, I think there's still, we were very supportive of CMU and very engaged as I think generally industry was. Uh, we have to see if there's, there's, I think there's still elements of it that the commission believe that still would benefit from delivering, looking at uh, how, how the asset management industry can help finance the real economy is still something that's out there. Uh, yeah, so. I think when, when, uh, the Commission has their resources when they're able to marshal them a bit better and, and Brexit is, is maybe either off the table or a little bit more certain mm. I think they'll definitely go back to CMU I think alternative sources of finance is absolutely what they want to focus I think, on I, th- I think there's strong political support in, in Europe in the European Union for a capital markets union project uh, I, I mean I go back to the point just covered on AFMD and third country passports I don't think there's anywhere near the level of support in in Europe for turning on AFMD passports or AFM passports. Yeah. I, I don't, I can't see that happening anytime soon. Yeah, I think the one element of, of something like that to watch for is: is it going to be a pro-Europe type of approach, or will it be a global approach? In in that, certainly, uh, I know some of the early commentary on on, on off of Brexit. Well, it's even more. 
important now that we have kind of a strong collective European asset management industry. Uh, I wouldn't say that excludes the global asset management industry, but but but, but again, I think historically, uh, and a lot of our alignment with the UK was, as I said, our bigger slice of the pie. Our bigger pie is a bigger slice for everybody. Uh, so again, it's, it's just something to watch for whether the initiatives are more insular looking in Europe or, or whether they whether they do support kind of a global product. And again, the you know, a point we, we, we made up, make often is the use of the product is a global brand, a global success. Uh, uh, so so it would it would be it would be wrong to try and only view that from a European perspective. Anything we've missed, Karen? For 2019? No, I mean, <clears throat> listen, I, I, I agree with everything that's been said. I mean, I, I do think that it would be, to, to Declan's point, like, we hope we're not at peak globalisation, but it, there's a big political influence to this, and it'll, it'll, it'll manifest itself in things like third country passports. I mean, it is counterintuitive that if Europe recognises the importance for capital markets union and things like uh, freer capital flows and non-bank financing, then it's counterintuitive to try and uh, restrict access or make it more of a of a of an internal market with kind of less interactions globally. So there there is um, a bit of a paradox there, which hopefully uh, won't materialise. Uh, in terms of other things for twenty nineteen, um, I mean, one thing that I would maybe just touch upon is that. I think the environment and the infrastructure in Ireland is changing. Uh, we so we talked about it in terms of asset managers coming, in terms of membership of the association. Uh, we've seen some of the reports coming from the central bank about the number of applications in, in process with them. Uh, I think if you fast forward the clock, maybe beyond 2019, but into 2020 or 2021, I think the landscape and the fabric of the funds industry and the asset management industry in Ireland will look quite different. I think there'll be a lot more um, management companies, AFIMs, uh, Supermancos, MIFID entities. I think there'll be a lot more asset managers to have people on the ground here. Um, certainly, I've had conversations with large asset managers who've said, for example, that what's been happening with Brexit has forced them to strategically review their business model. And in doing that, they now can see the benefit of having an entity and a presence in Ireland and having a headcount here that they wouldn't otherwise have done because they wouldn't have voluntarily gone into that process of reviewing their business model from a strategic perspective the way they did. But even if Brexit were to be cancelled tomorrow, that, that won't change their plans, that it just makes sense for them having done the work to say, well, actually, we should have a presence here. It'll help in terms of accessing talent. It'll give us diversification in terms of our business model. It'll give us a European license. We can access people and talent. Um, and it still is cheaper to do business here than it is in London. Um, so there's, there's lots of positives, I think, at the end of the process, Going through uh, periods of transition and change is always difficult. So I think the journey is difficult, but I think when we get there, um, the fabric and the landscape will be much richer uh, here in Ireland than what, than what it maybe has been in the past. May you live through interesting times. Well, exactly. It looks like uh, 2019 is not going to disappoint in that front. And even 
as we get towards the end of January, it's quite clear that a lot of the agenda in terms of legal regulatory developments is going to be driven by what happens on the Brexit front. I'm going to wrap it up there. Thank you very much, guys, for your time. Can I put in? Absolutely. Can I just can I just give a quick plug? Uh, looking at the year ahead for some of our events. So I'm sure the listeners in the podcast will know Irish Funds has a full calendar of international events that we hold all around the world to promote Ireland as a great jurisdiction to set up a fund range for global distribution and also informative uh, panel sessions and, and, and speeches and presentations, keynote addresses. So we have a full schedule. Uh, we will be in the US in March. We'll be in Chicago, Washington, New York. We'll be in London in April, on the 11th of April, for Alternatives. That's an uh, excellent conference. S- seminar. It is. Thank you. Um, our annual conference will be back in Dublin at the Convention Centre on the 23rd of May. I think you were at, at last year's. That was my highlight of the And can confirm that it's a fantastic uh, conference. So, so. Get, get in early. All the details are on our on our website, irishfunds forward slash events. Get in early. Um, we have a full calendar of events for the full year ahead. So it is a, you, yeah, it is a very active association. You do a lot of events. I've been to the London event. It's very good. And the Dublin event is very, very good we, as well. We're in Asia. We've just finished the roadshow in Hong Kong and China. We'll be in, in, in continental Europe. Uh, we're probably going to South Africa for the first time this year. Um, so a lot going on on the event side. Um, check it out and sign up. So if anybody wants to contact Kieran to get on this South African gig, Kieran Fox at irishfunds.ie. Thank you, gentlemen, very much for your time. Um, let us wrap up with your dreams for 2019. My dreams for 2019 are, one, Leeds United to finally leave the second tier of English football after 15 years. Two, a return to meathness. And three, a Brexit that ends well. Gents? Uh, I have to say an ILP. Oh, gosh. <laughs> a functional ILP. A five in a row. Oh, no. no. Should have ended the podcast five minutes ago. After that, I don't need a third. <laughs> okay, Derry make the Super 8s. There we go. I have the plug for uh, Gaelic football as well. Um, the much maligned uh, Derry team make the Super 8s. Uh, crikey, I don't know. Uh, Ireland win the Ryder Cup. Uh, sorry, Europe win the Ryder Cup. Ireland wins the Rugby World Cup. Uh, we have a withdrawal agreement or Brexit just gets cancelled uh, and we all live happily ever after. How's that? Sounds pretty good to me. Thank you very much for your time, gents. And we'll catch you next time on the Aquest Podcast. You've been listening to the Aquest Podcast. For information about our training and advisory programs or our academy, visit aquest.ie. For more resources on regs, funds, and governance, check out our YouTube channel, Daniel Lawler, R-U-R-Q.